there was a response that you gave me when I went on my little tirade about like God is not coming to help you. And I think I offended you somehow. I really triggered something deep and I apologize for that if I was a bit too aggressive um, in my point. Brother, you, you and I have been on this journey for too long for me to be offended. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I just heard in your response when I was editing the podcast, I was like, wow, I, I really touched a nerve there. You don't have a visible raise in your voice when you're making your point. There is an excitement in terms of the conversation, but it's not as if you, you know, coming down at me, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So it's a part of what did you say? I just enjoy the ride. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know where the road is going. I just, yeah, it's like I don't pick the music. I just came to dance. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the, the dance must always be fair. And uh, welcome to the listeners uh, to this um, episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr, alongside the chapteries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. It is the third Sunday in Lent on this exploration of faith during this time of continued crisis. I don't think we're ever getting out of this crisis. Like there's multiple crises happening. There's there's the ESCOM electricity stuff. I'm currently kind of sitting in darkness because of load shedding. Um, and yeah, there's the health crises that are going on like we we got we got measles back obviously all the kids are going for the measles vaccination um the muslim judicial council declaring measles vaccination as safe for for muslims that was that was crazy that was something that i didn't expect to to occur um just because of how the 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 vaccine is kind of synthesized and yeah, I, I don't know what where the light at the end of the tunnel is. I'm, I've been in a particularly hopeless place um, with the world and South Africa. And and yeah, we're just not in a good space. Make me feel hopeful, uh, my co-host, <laughs> the Archdeacon <laughs> Father Rodney Whiteman. Make, give me some hope. On Thursday, good day to you listeners as well. And thanks, Lindsay. Um, we... It was very interesting. I was doing a wedding rehearsal on Thursday. And, you know, it's like two days or the day before the actual event. Yeah. And it's all those teeny weeny things. They look into the future, imagining what they had planned. And there was like the, 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 the sense of perfection that must happen on this day. And what I then said to them and to others of recent times, my experience tells me it will all come together. Now, when I say that, I'm, I'm really saying, let's take the journey. Let's not go out there with, you know, what is that? Um, who wrote the great expectation? Charles Dickinson. Yeah. Um, I always, I was concerned myself with expectation, um, or uh, but I, I like the word anticipation hmm. because I've done all that I can do, all that I can address in in current time, and when I move forward with all of that um, into an unknown future. Um, which happens to be the next day <laughs> or the next moment. Yeah. Um, I, I I go in there with the hope that that I don't that things will come together, even if I haven't done enough 
what must still be done will come together. Something will work. Now, is that saying that I believe certainly um, the God of who created me uh, for the journey of this earthly life would in some way be present with me, um, even though they may not be total clarity. So part of anticipation on the journey for me would be discernment. Um, and so I'm halfway, if not more than halfway, in some, some cases, um, uh, filled with hope because of what I needed to do and my sense of the creator who, who, whom I believe does not desert me on the journey. So I've got to constantly be in anticipation with discernment. Um, you know, when I, when I considered the financial terrain and plateau of our country, mm. I always wondered how would all of the things on the stock exchange and all of these things happening affect me on grassroots level? Uh, have I done enough on my side to ensure a relative um, sense of okayness? Um, yeah. and, but then I do realize it does affect me indirectly because it does say, you know, um, what is my role to correct that? And, you know, I'm sitting in a place on the ground, whereas these things are happening in corridors of power. Hmm. So, but does my hope depend on those in corridors of power? Because more, more and more one sees how those in corridors of power uh, fail us. Uh, and so when, what do I then do? Do I really take seriously my inner life? Am I working on my inner life? Because look, there is where the real world is in terms of my anxiety. My sense of hopelessness would come from within me in response to what I'm observing and what I'm listening to. But if I have built up an, a sense of an inner life, an inner sense of purpose, an inner sense of discipline, um, and, and of course, it's, the, it's where my faith is found, my sense of my relationship with God as creator and redeemer and sustainer. All I need to do is to take one step forward with him into a future unknown based on my current preparation. And the hope already is there because the glass is always half full. It is. It is. And I'm usually quite an optimistic person. Uh, but it's just, yeah, it's, it's been a bit, it's been crazy. And yeah, I've been, I've been working on uh, the project that I'm currently working on. Also, doesn't fill me with a lot of hope because I've been doing a lot of reporting in, in spaces where there is supposed to be like this grand vision um, and this mighty payoff for the nation and for a group of people um, and entire industry. And, and I'm just not seeing it. Um, at all, it's just becoming more and more of, of the same stuff that that we've had before. Uh, but it, yeah, it's oh. it's just one of those things. I'm, I'm very sorry for starting on such a pessimistic note. Um, my the change of season is also affecting my my allergies quite badly. <laughs> but can I just come in here? Can I just come in here? Because you know our diocese, as I'm sure other parts of the church. Um, are facing 
serious financial crisis, you know, parishes that can't pay their assessments and stuff to the diocese, uh, making the diocese now a creditor with um, um, who's owed five, over five million from parishes. We're 49 parishes. And now they're looking to us to say, how do we bring down this debt? How do we, you know, and and five million is not a joke. Yeah. Um, and we only 49 parishes. So how are we going to, you know, get there when you suffer the ills of unemployment? And I, I've been asking myself the question, you know, something that I don't know whether is is other people cannot hear or whether I'm on the wrong track. But I believe when one does an assessment of a situation like that, you know, it's got to be a kind of a global thing that you have. And, and that is um, you can't just look at raising money without um, having to look at ministry across yeah. the board because the two goes hand in hand. And if we look at, if we read, and maybe we just haven't, and this is my, one, one of my things that I'm having to, to speak about, we haven't built, in my view, capacity within our people enough to be able to say, you know, this is a big problem, but we can deal with it because we're working on, the, for us, the kingdom of God principles, we're working with ministry. And so what does it mean for us in terms of how parishes need to be structured along ministerial, you know, along a missional vision for ministry, but really one in which you're building capacity for people to carry out the vision through its mission and ministry. Now, I don't, I don't have the, the, I mean, capacity building for me meant that I needed to expose myself to certain things such as deeper theological uh, reflection through education, mm. deeper ministerial reflection through education, and in dialogue and community, writing things down and capturing for strategic purposes, what we mean to do. How do I raise the level during COVID? How do I raise the level of contact with a congregation out there where we could not meet? And, you know, people like yourself came aboard and helped me to see I could make a connection. So right now, I still do a devotion. Yeah. You know, right now, I still do. Now, I don't know how many people out there are reading or listening to it and so on. Mm. Now and again, I get in, impact, input and so on. Mm. But I do certainly believe that um, when we look at these things, it's got to be looked at uh, globally with a view of building capacity in each individual yeah. with the understanding that we do things in a collaborative way. And we don't wait until the problem gets too big to deal with, we deal with it now so that we are able to get ahead. Um, not that everybody will agree, but at least there is a way in which in disagreement, dialogue continues to be open, dialogue continues to be mature, um, and and that we're working together, even as you say, sometimes we don't know where the road is taking us, yeah. but that we do have companionship on the journey with God and each other. Um, in order to tackle the problem. Because look, 
the problem out there may it look big because it's covered with darkness of the future. Yeah. But, but as we journey, and here for me, um, I think it's Psalm 105 uh, that talks about this. I may be wrong with the psalm. Um, your word is a light, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And it sort of in this indicates to me I've got to look where my steps are, uh, but I can't do that without recognizing that I actually can put a lamp there. Um, and the lamp doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't glow with a the broad circumference. It's enough for me to take the next step. Yeah. But I also yeah. have to keep my eyes focused on the light that you know shines towards where the path goes next. And and for me that that just brings me a sense of comfort and an encouragement to take the next step. You know what just <laughs> occurred to me is like load shedding is probably a blessing for for preachers because you get to like draw on all these analogies now that suddenly have this great impact because everybody's living with like lights and torches and candles and stuff. <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. You take advantage of the situation. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, the, theological education has taught me ongoingly to ask the question, what is the meaning of all of this? Hmm. And when one looks at a text, you ask not just what is in the text as a lesson, you ask who is in the text as well. Yeah. And, and, and when we find out who's in the text, we begin to say, so where am I in all of this? Am, am I in this text as well? Do I, uh, if I was in that text, in that narrative story, how do I, how would I have responded? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so I'm, I was just looking through um, something the other, yesterday, I found a book on my shelf that has a, a, a way of narrating uh, the, the Lenten stuff going to, um, Easter, and just just one of the lines that caught me was how in one of the stations of the cross, one of the narrations is, um, I was there, and in brackets, but my name was not mentioned. Some of the texts talk about a woman, but never yeah. give us a name. And when I when I reflected on that. Uh, um, one, one scholar says he, he understands that as us, the, the openness of the term woman or man or he or she uh, in the text draws me into, into that narrative mm. Um, mm. because there's no, no name attached to it. So it's yeah. all yeah. and everybody. So there's no exclusion from yeah. the text. Yeah. And I thought that, I mean, and I think that's basically, even though the, the, the journeys of the world reach me directly sometimes, and then obviously not directly, indirectly, uh, far away, but direct, indirectly, it, it, it sort of touches me. So I'm part of the journey. I cannot never uh, exclude myself from yeah. the journey of life yeah. globally. Yeah. 
but it, it's crazy uh, from a from a journalist perspective. Um, sometimes if you're covering like stories that involve like crowds or a crowd forms around a situation, and then you try and get some of the the sentiment from the crowd, and you obviously can't ask everybody's names because I mean things are happening quickly, and you're just getting quotes, or you hear something that somebody shouts out to says something, and then you're like, uh, it will always be a, a, like a the anonymous witness where it's like the one of the rebel rousers said or you know and, and, and it's it's an interesting perspective that that people will, will take that opportunity to to find themselves with with within the narrative i mean even if these things in the bible are like centuries old um it's 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 really strange but uh talking about the readings and, and the liturgy of the day so the first reading is exodus uh, chapter 17 verses 1 to 7 and it's about moses striking the rock and the water coming out and then the gospel is john 4 verses 5 uh, yeah john chapter 4 verses 5 to 42 and it's the the woman at the well the samaritan woman situation and in both so hear me out. I was reading through this last night and I was forming my thoughts. And it was like in both stories, there's a challenge to draw water. So like the Israelites or or at least the recently freed um, Hebrews or Israelites, as they are named in the text, they now going through the, the wilderness. It's harsh out there. It's 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 crazy. They're walking through a desert, an arid region. Um, there's no water, there's no food, there's no nothing, and they are now seeking their Lord. They are asking Moses, like, dude, are you just going to let us starve? <laughs> Did you? Like, we were better in... It's actually the way the apartheid apologizers are coming out of the woodwork now, where it's like, we were better there <laughs> than we are now. And it's like, no, dude, you were a slave, and now you are free. <laughs> like, would you rather die with your freedom or live for the rest of your life like a slave, you know? Um, so that's like the one part. And then the other part is in both stories, um, the the protagonist is challenged to draw water. So Jesus asked the woman, give me water. And this woman is having none of it. She's like, dude, you uh, Hebrew, I'm a Samaritan. What do you want from me? And then in this thing, God, I put it in air quotes, is telling Moses, go to this rock, strike it, and water will come out. What, what do you have to, to say about like those two kinds of points that are brought up now? Very, very interesting, the, 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 um, the word metaphor came up, um, the symbolism of water in, in Scripture. I don't know if you can recall when we do the baptism service, um, references, old, references made to the Old Testament journey regarding the crossing over through water uh, mm. of the Red Sea and the Jordan River. Yes. So that that narrative is captured in the baptism. So so what so what 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 does water say in John's Gospel? Interestingly enough, the symbolism water is um, the Spirit. Mm. Um, it's 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 associated with with and and look you look at gee not 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 long not not long down the line where Jesus is baptized 
uh, at the River Jordan. Yeah. Now, the one who's announced as the, the son to whom we have to listen to, the one pleasing to God. Um, so th- does the symbolism say, um, what do we have to offer God in our lives? Uh, what is there? I mean, she asked, she said to him, do you have a bucket? Mm. So is, mm. is, it, is there a very cultural point there? Do Jews really drink out of the same cups that Samaritans drink out of? So how do you expect a Samaritan to offer you water from the bucket that they're using? Mm. And, mm. and so, so here's the interplay. What, what do we have to offer God in the stranger? Yeah. yeah. Right? And then the cultural issues come up. And then, um, and then, uh, uh, is Jesus also saying, "I'm willing with you in this initial encounter to cross over all cultural barriers?" And by cultural barriers, I also mean religious um, understandings, and to enter into your world. And is, is he? Is God also? Is this teaching us that God is also willing? For us to recognize something in ourselves that we could offer that would yeah. be of meaning yeah. to the other. So, um, and and then of course what happens is that there's no real fuss about the quantity of water available, whereas yeah. in the Old Testament they are grumbling. And I know this text lends itself to a lovely Afrikaans idiom that we find in that text. Part of the journey would be that there was no food and then they got quails. So what, what were they meant then to learn? What was the comparison between the Old Testament reading and the, and the gospel? What were they meant to learn through Jesus, in Jesus? What does God provide for the world? And mm-hmm. in this particular situation, is Moses a prefiguring of who Jesus is? But Moses, as it were, needs, they're sort of one step behind. Jesus knew what he needed to do. Moses needed to mediate on behalf of the people. The way Jesus mediates, uh, what the first letter of John talks about, uh, you know, an advocate with the Father. Yeah. Um, so, so, so is it a prefiguration, therefore, who provides in the desert of life uh, fulfillment, uh, refreshment, renewal, transformation, so that what once was hopeless can now be uh, discovered as the path of t- towards hope. Hmm. Um, and water s- symbolizes all those things I said, and perhaps even more. It um, provides it. Um, I mean, I think when when we were at day zero, was there that thing called the day zero when you, you, you heard names of dams that you never knew existed yeah. <laughs> that would, would be the supply source of the water coming to you 
And then you really thought, I mean, now where are we going to get water? Take seawater and boil it to get us to the point of where we could drink things. Yeah. Uh, and, and and it was going to going to get and 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 for me. The, the, that desperation of humanity, which which echoes through history, where is God? Why doesn't God step forward now? Um, others were saying, "Yeah, this is a punishment," you know, which which I wasn't going to go down that way. Yeah. So you know, yeah. um, when I when I uh, you, you 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 know when we do doing the Eucharistic prayer um, before. You know, they've poured the wine into the chalice mm. and then they hold up the little crew of water in. And that water symbolizes water from the side of Christ. Mm. Uh, and the old priests used to say, which I still try and record in my prayer, waters from the side of Christ wash us. Now, it's a reaffirmation of he is for us, mm. um, and and but I also add there. Uh, thank you, Lord, for filling the dams of water that we need for our earthly existence. So I try to combine that in my prayer as I bless yeah. that water. You know, so 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 we do know that you can be without food for a number of days, but without water and air essential stuff for our living that would be a, a calamity um so so the the arc connections between the two texts although the context is different hmm. yeah i was just leaning into the the, the, <laughs> the drawing of water from a, an unlikely source um kind of analogy where i i think i think it's important to as, I'm not going to go as hard as as I did 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 last week, where it's like there's no help coming for you. Like this is obviously a story yeah. that has been adapted from tales of a phenomena that occurred. It was like like you can imagine, you can imagine how the story gets passed down. You can imagine sitting at like your Oma's stoop like years ago. And them telling you about this amazing thing that happened. And it's like, yeah, we were walking in the wilderness. And we had nothing to eat. And it might have been like, like maybe they went half a day without like finding a fresh water source. <laughs> but obviously because of the size of the crowd and the panic that spreads like throughout it, you know how people are. And it gets exaggerated obviously in the stories. And then it's like, and then it's not like we found this mountain stream. It's like, no, this dude struck this thing with his stick and water sprang from it. And it's like that auntie didn't even see it happen. She was like kilometers away. She heard it via, 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 and then just came and someone brought the water and it was like this amazing thing. So these are like how these stories propagate. That said, yeah. Um, yeah? You have a response? No, I was just going to say that as, as, you, as you're talking, uh, and as as somebody who's to, who's got journalistic instincts and journalistic um, acumen, um, you know that every story printed needs redaction, needs editorial, yeah. in order for the kernel message mm -hmm. to get out. 
mm-hmm. because you are right. Um, each each person would have heard it and heard it in the way that they've heard it and would have added things on. You know, the exaggeration of, of, of the event. But but in redaction, you then begin to ask the questions around, you know, um, what is the kernel's part of this story? We weren't there. Could something of this nature happen? And we can only again hear a journalist, and we are all dependent on witnesses. Yeah. Um, if we want to know more about an event, we also do know that witnesses um, need to have a sense of credibility about it. So one looks at this text and say, what's the credibility in all of this for us? Is there uh, something that, not taking away the fact that a miracle of this nature could possibly happen. Yeah. Uh, But you are right. Did he touch a rock in this mountainous area where there was already a stream that was flowing? Yeah. Um, would 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 that part of um, the place where they were going through have mountain streams flowing from it? What was the rain? So you're going to all of that history yeah. to try and yeah. find out, you know, all of that. But what did the people experience, and who told the story? Was Moses someone who would have told the story? Yeah. Because who else would have been at the forefront than he was? Yeah. The, the the going back to the incredible story of the burning bush, this relates. Moses was there. Moses was there at the burning bush as a murderer, uh, and yet one raised in East, the 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 faith of the people. Hmm. Um, the law had not yet come, but he was called to be one who was going to liberate, help liberate the people. Here he was at the forefront of another miracle. This time, those that were uh, depended upon him criticized him too. Yeah. And yet he was the one who yeah. was part of bringing them out. So did Moses tell this story? Uh, what's the kernel of truth and what would be exaggeration? And I think that's where redaction came um, for yeah. us to be. And I mean, we can see, I mean, yeah. this... This is not a long, drawn-out story. It tells mm. us certain things, the attitude of the people on the journey, yeah. what they needed, how easily faith is lost, what leadership needs to do, how is leadership in tune with the God of the journey, the God of the liberation, yeah. the God of uh, what's in, So that faith issues coming there. Um, and would Moses have been party to letting us know on the journey, this actually happened. Uh, you know, as the as the leader who was challenged, the one who stood there on behalf of God, and the one who stood there, as it were, on behalf of the people. Yeah. But again, uh, would, like, would he... like you, you, you brought it up, and you, you, you kind of making the point for me, where it's like, like Moses is an unreliable witness, or at least the witness of Moses, uh, because. Again, like if you dig again and you you redact the text and you fact check and everything, there's not a lot of historical accuracy for the the mass exodus of of Egypt. Like it's it's one of those stories that that cannot be verified. But like for me, like the 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 problematic thing in this text is what 
the lesson that gets distilled from it, where it's like, why are you putting the Lord to the test? And it's like, no, bro, <laughs> they're not putting the Lord to the test. You are the leader. You've now led everybody now out of Israel. You've taken it upon yourself to do this thing. You've been led by whatever. Like, this is not putting the Lord to the test. This is this is you in a managerial crisis. <laughs> and you need to deal with it now. <laughs> Where it now gets taught as like this cautionary tale to like testing God. Because as, as I said last week, um, there is no one going to come help you. Like the, the laws of physics do not allow for a deity to come and bring water from a rock, you know. Like this, this is a managerial crisis and it should not be taught as a cautionary tale for the masses. Well, I, I, I disagree with you there. This uh-huh. is more than just managerial thing. This is about a journey of faith. Uh-huh. And so unlearning, I mean, the journey of faith, did God not do enough? And I mean, I, 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 I'm not going to say that there's every historical proof, but I do certainly believe there was an exodus. I, I mean, I've done enough study for myself yeah. to say that I certainly believe mm-hmm. in that liberation movement and that God was party to it. God did what God had to do. That's I certainly believe that. I believe the faith of the community that through which the story came. Mm-hmm. So how, even though God did what God, what I believe God did in terms of the of bringing them out of, of, of Egypt and, and so forth, what what along the life, the journey did they need to learn about who God is to them? Yeah. Uh, yeah. As they encountered, in this case, a drought, thirst, uh, they just come mm-hmm. out of a desert. Um, and and so along the journey of life, uh, you know, is is it is it not important for us to touch base with, you know, why am I here? Who's enabled this to happen? Is it just the hand of mankind in this, or is there a higher power that you know helps us on this journey of life and? And what do I need to know about the higher power in order to re- respond with faith? Hmm. So I can't do for me. For me, the journey of life cannot be faith. Cannot be excluded from the journey of life. Um, and so I certainly see in this story uh, people needing to ask questions to to understand to discover uh, the, the God of the journey. Yeah. Um, because, because after all, they were being led into the space where they would now go and worship. Because that's why Moses said, let my people go, which was God's word through Moses to the Pharaoh of the time. Because the intention was the community was to be a, a community of worship. Um, and it's a, it's a journey of faith, of liberation to the place of worship. And then the restructuring, which, which comes through the covenant. The commandments that um, that were given. So I certainly believe none. I mean, I for myself cannot um, believe my journey has been without the journey of faith. When I go back, when I look back, do I recognize the presence and the hand of God in the journey I had taken? And I, all I can witness to is yes, I 
certainly believe. And it didn't come down, some of those aspects didn't come down to managerial restrategization. Okay, I'll take that. But again, it's like, why not ask those questions? Like, why why is the instinct from some of your colleagues um, to to use this as a way to to quell those questions you know like i've had this thrown in my face it, multiple it, times good in question that a very good point in fact i was i think it's very valid i was hoping that in my response earlier i would come up with that that would come <laughs> through what i was saying yeah how can i how can i know god if i'm not asking questions if I'm not asking questions in my faith, how do I grow? And, you know, there is a statement, not necessarily in scripture, but people, you, you can never question God. Well, is God, is our understanding of God then so minute that God would crumble just because I ask a question? Yeah. When I know the shadow of my faith is doubt. But when I ask the question, doesn't mean doubt is, because if the shadow of faith is doubt, then the shadow of doubt is faith. So I'm asking questions. And theology, um, Anselm said, was um, faith-seeking understanding. Hmm. So the journey of my faith doesn't go without questioning. It does, it does allude, and this is very interesting, I think some people put together the word test and temptation mm. as if they are the same thing. Mm. And I think the word test alludes to the fact that we will ask questions about our circumstances and we will want to understand God. If you truly the God of, of our journey, help us to understand where we are and how are we meant to live in these conditions? I mean, we have asked, our ancestors have asked over 350 years, why did we have to suffer apartheid? Mm. You know, I don't know in the last 20 mm. odd years whether we reflect back and say, what an unnecessary waste of time. Or as you say, some people look back and say, it was better then than yeah. now. Mm. Um, um, so, so when I look back and I look at what we've come through, they become great reference points for me. I, I can't say apartheid was necessary, but that was the reality we had to live through, how we meant to live through it. And that for me is, is my reflection point and my own experience. So in that way, that did, I, did we ever have to ask? Um, I mean, theology and faith are developmental they don't stay in the state of immaturity. Yeah. And to become yeah. mature, I mean, like, like when you're doing your academic studies, you have to explore your research question. Hmm. You are asking yeah. a question, and the question does not stand outside of life. It may be uh, uh, um, uh, um, coached in a lot of intellectualism. But the point of the matter is, it's a question of research. And how does that question pertain to life? You know, when you come up with your argument uh, about why you think this is the, 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 the 
the thing to, re to research for a thesis. Yeah. Your professors are yeah. going to ask you, what's the relevance of this to life? Mm. Um, no, but nobody's written about it yet, but, but at the end, when you produce your thesis, is it going to make the difference? Yeah. And I, I, I think a whole lot of theses are just locked up in the library. It's not a living document as one would hope it could become. Yeah. It's supposed for, for to be added to the knowledge yeah. base. It's got and and to life experiences because yeah. you could use the wisdom that was discovered. So that's why for me, um, I don't see the testing as the same as temp tempting. Mm. I see that that part of growing in my faith is to consider the context and to ask God, what is this all about and how am I supposed to respond to this? What am I supposed to do here? Yeah. What's the wisdom about all of this? So I don't think testing was. I I think the word that 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 Moses brought up in that was really saying to them, did God not show you enough about Him and His leadership of the journey you're taking to which He's called you? Why do you need to continue asking uh, this question? And we do know that Israel dwelled in the desert for forty years because they were not ready to take the next step and part of of journey so i mean this is why i like the the stories of the bible when one goes and explores them deeper like we are doing now asking mm. very critical mm. questions about the text is to then find out um like like the the authors and the redactors the could have hidden mm. this part of testing mm. Just to 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 make the story look nice. Yeah. But I I don't I think the text leaves us with the not so nice things that we must grapple with. Indeed. And you know mm -hmm. the whole question around te testing God is is that something that we shouldn't be doing? Testing would be asking questions of mm -hmm. God, mm -hmm. crucial questions, life questions. And asking it doesn't mean we're looking for ready, ready, ready answers. These questions are, should be asked in a discernible way, yeah. a way of openness to yeah. discovery, uh, with with an anticipation but not an expectation. I do believe in anticipation, uh, which for me is what the psalmist is saying: "Wait on the Lord, wait again." I say on the Lord. Mm. So, so for me, that's what it what, what, mm. what, what the journey the journey is. And I mean, you can see this unfolding in which, which I think is one of the most beautiful stories ever told from Scripture, and that is the the, the lady at the well. Yeah. Um, we could yeah. we could we could learn so much, uh, particularly because the victim in our society over millions of years is still a woman. Mm. A woman who has been othered. Because the Samaritans were like <laughs> effectively the black Jews, <laughs> and effectively the Palestinians. And no, absolutely, of the day they because remember, Islam didn't exist yeah. at this point. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think you know it was very interesting that the church, for what whatever its reasons were, taking the twelve disciples being the masculine and. Jesus chose only them. Yet the narrative shows us Jesus chose other people to engage. Yeah. Yeah. And and so why why we silence the voice of women in our society? 
when um, year was somebody that quite obviously came out of a shell, having been treated as other, um, and did not feel judged because of her life narrative. Mm. Uh, we told she said mm. all of this, these men, um, but she was abused in all of it. I mean, yeah. a woman, a woman needing to go to the well to do all the hard labor just so that the man can drink a glass of water. Yeah. That's oppression of the highest level. Yeah, and then she's challenged by... I, I, I like the, the, the challenge into action here, like since you framed it that way, um, which is the way I also kind of frame it, and I think we did it last year, where she now comes out of this abusive thing and then it's like another man making demands yeah. of her and she's like, no, brah, <laughs> this is not happening yeah. right now. <laughs> No, absolutely. And isn't that where we could be saying, you know, this testing thing comes in. Yeah. She now has had enough. She she now knows this guy's a Jew uh, and she was not having it again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that would have come to the frame. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I like I like as and one moves from that moment of tension when he then says, but if you knew who I was, who you would really be asking me for for water to drink, because yeah. I will give you the water of life. Now yeah. suddenly, when she starts saying that I'll give you the water of life, it goes into a theological conversation now, yes. and and a cultural. And I mean, I I like that debate. She obviously, even though I mean, even though the 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 masculine society of the of the Hebrews of the Israelites. Um, wore off on this on the Samaritan side too because their women had to be the slaves and men yeah. were free of doing the menial work and she knows her stuff even though she's a, a, an oppressed woman she's not afraid to say you know um, this is what we were taught this is what we come to believe these are the, the blessings of being in this culture and so Jesus and she interacts with this. And I mean, I, I draw great strength from the fact that there again, um, how could we say we can't ask questions when in that dialogue there were very serious issues that were raised? For her to be able to come out of this and say, come and hear a man who's told me everything about myself. I mean, uh, that could be like, what's the benefit of that message? told me everything about myself. So it does, in fact, teach us mm. that um, we grapple every day with our sense yeah. of identity. Yeah. But yeah. it's also like one of the things that leads to that, that question I asked, where it's mm. like the, the story, the Moses story, the, the thing, the endearing message that comes out of that is like, why do you put the Lord to the test? And um, my, my wife is doing like some personal Bible studies right now and she confronts because I'm always saying like 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 my test like I think the response just to use that as a as a blanket to be like don't question don't do all those things is because of an immaturity that exists in a lot of theologians where or at least a lot of pastors let's let's call it let's call it what it is because there are some uh, denominations out there that do not value academic study um, and certification and that kind of um, scrutinizing 
um, and then they never learn how to enter a rhetoric, how to argue, how to. So they only know what they've been told by others, by their, their seniors, um, and then they cling to all these, these bits of dogma um, to ward off everything else. And it's when people within those kinds of situations start asking questions that I will intervene and say, you know what? I don't want you, because if you're going to look for God and you're going to ask pointed questions and you're going to, you are going to find that God doesn't exist. That is the end point. Like if you go looking for him, you will not find him. Um, like if you are looking for him with, with for facts, for evidence, for something to like galvanize you. So you have to base, for me, it's important if you are a faithful person and if it if it contributes so much to your existence, to your sense of living, of your, your humanity, it's not wise to go down the fact-finding route. You have to put your faith into something stronger. So like Monique, challenges because i'm always challenging people i'm like show me one just one line in the bible where jesus speaks out against like homosexuality and she she texts me this screen capture or at least a uh she took a picture of, of the verse in the bible and it was from paul's letter to the romans where he goes on his tirade about hey yes my favorite and then at, favorite I, I respond to her and i'm like now, you see, I ask you, attributed to Jesus, not someone or at least someone who interacted with Jesus, who learned directly from Jesus. And that's uh, like it just underlined my point of like the unreliable witness um, that exists out there that that takes that misinterprets that that blends like these Old Testament narratives that were developed for a different reason. It's like on Sunday, my son asks me why don't muslims eat pork so i'm like cool it's not just muslims it's the jews as well but like so pigs arrive from like this kind of I, I give him the whole explanation the facts that i know it's a a method of of social control it's like we had a lot of people who were dying of eating contaminated pork what do you do you take out the pork <laughs> and suddenly fewer people are dying and then they think it's like a blessing from god instead of the curse of like eating pork and then it like gets distorted with this whole thing of like casting out the demons into the pigs and like oh, it's like guys it's it's a lot simpler than <laughs> it's, the answer is always more simple and like more elegant and and it's like do i tell that story to reduce my son's belief in jesus no i tell that story so that he knows that we need certain laws and practices around certain things so that we can continue existing as a society, you know, and that is divorced from faith. So like, let's not, let's not insert faith into, into facts, you know, and yet, and yet, uh, um, Whilst faith does not, it's final, what's the name, it's not about proving things, in my yeah. view. It's about, yeah. you know, because you, you literally, faith is about living. Uh, 
faith is about life mm. um, and 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 how in that moment uh, you know for me the crucial words that i hear our liturgy saying this which is very invitational all the time you know um we say it three times in the service and i may have mentioned it at the beginning the lord is with you the lord be with you um so we celebrating presence mm. and so in my in, and we celebrating presence when it comes to the gospel the lord be with you um and we celebrating presence when we do the eucharistic prayer the lord is here god's spirit is with us and so we celebrating presence throughout of and that's that's what what that's the fact of the environment of the world it's the presence of things and it's the presence of people yeah when we look at presence we say so who is the present presence behind all of this presence mm. and and we move, and it's it's a really it's a relational thing now when you then look into the environment and ask questions like okay so there are people who are indicating to us that on a sexual level they are not hetero yeah there's something yeah. deeper here you know i mean sexuality is not bland simply because i was afraid living in what is understood to be a masculine body that it's a clear cut thing yeah um like like with our, our genetic makeup there's no clear cut things here it's 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 discovery as life goes on mm. um and we have to deal with certain things i mean i i went to work in fishing i see this lady's dog i'm i'm visiting a oh, an, an elderly lady um or she's invited me for tea i see this dog very slow i ask what's wrong with the dog she says the dog has got cancer and is on medication i come from a township where you never <laughs> so i'm i now supposed to understand why she loves this animal so much and would even have a hospitable uh, sorry a a a a medical aid yes. for the dog yes because it's so expensive why is she caring so much for this animal i go to another house a shiwawa is shivering while the sun is shining brightly outside in the sod i ask what is this dog's problem she says to me no she was an abused dog yeah and when she sees a masculine figure come in she is terrified and she is on heart medication hmm. i entered into a world i never knew because people dare to care for animals um people dare to say you know this this animal's presence is crucial and vital to me and to us and i've got to to care for this animal the this presence i can't just dismiss yeah. so where does this compassion yeah. and care come from um when that dog experienced violence and abuse mm. 
to mm-hmm. in the current moment make her feel so scared so where does this compassion come from why am i moved to compassion and look i don't have animals in my house because i feared i wouldn't be able to care for them properly yeah because of the, the lifestyle so i am i'm thinking about the environment and the things we have to deal with so there's a person coming and saying look i for years have struggled with my sexuality so this is all about identity coming back to yeah. uh, who is god to me when i'm not don't have water to drink and i'm brought out of a place where the water was freely available even the oppressor knew that i needed water now the god of my liberation brings me to a place and suddenly there's no water who is god and and the same with with you know the, so so the presence of people the presence of the environment the presence beyond what we can see with the eye and understand with the mind mm. uh, and and that's why you know for me the liturgy is so profound because it brings me back to that question who is god is there a god what does my faith and my life experience tell me and is scripture the the, the tool that can help me see the god of history Yeah. is the god of the present yeah. and does it does it need proof uh, uh such radical proof that yes he does exist i think there's enough proof that it exists but it's a journey yeah but it's important to 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 uh, and just in closing uh, to understand that that truth is only true to you like you can't expect if like if you're going to look for god in the real world you're not going to find him so you can't expect everybody to be of the same belief you know like your faith is a personal thing depending on what you're looking <laughs> yeah it, no, I, well let, let me let me take you a little backwards i think that i learned faith in community i didn't learn faith on my own yeah i learned faith in family that's where i learned faith my faith wasn't dependent on self discovery but it becomes personal as i journey because i'm seeking meaning for my life i'm seeking direction with my life and so and so yeah i was age 12 doing my confirmation and making a commitment to following god for me that was a real thing still is yeah but i learned it in community i learned it with others i learned it also when my faith was challenged my understanding of god is challenged i learned it from those who would then have said but this is all different i mean like now the struggle between the denominations mm. almost mm. as if i my presentation as an anglican of god fights against the guy whose church is charismatic or whatever it yeah. is are we in mm. this fight to to do that no i'm i'm not going to fight there it's not my job to fight mm. it's my job mm. to say um yeah in the way that the, the the alcoholics anonymous do the god of my understanding so there's a personal part to that journey however i discovered faith i discovered therefore that discovered there is a god that we can't see and yet believe because he's the god of creation we look to jesus as the god of our salvation mm. same god mm-hmm. and we open to the fact that that you know god is spirit um john sucket yeah. professor john sucket called god the mysterious one 
So, so I think that deep down in our souls, even when we say, when we say, somebody says, there is no God. The fact that there's a language that enables you to say that means that the, 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 the presence of God is a subject that people have explored from time immemorial and will continue to do so. Um, whatever happens at the end of our lives, it's the journey. Life is always a journey of discovery, a journey of being open to that which is possible and to that which is impossible. I am not going to open this door that you are <laughs> so clearly knocking on <laughs> because we are going to be here for another hour. <laughs> and on that, <laughs> I will say, please listen and tune in next week when I confront and unpack all of the situations that, that have been brought to my attention now in the last couple of seconds. Um, as always, the podcast in the podcast description, you'll find the collect and some the choice verses. Um, we didn't get around to Romans, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. We did kind of touch on it uh, in, in the bad way because, man, you know my feelings about Paul at this point. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Please tell people um, about the podcast if you do enjoy it. Please tell us. If you don't enjoy it, um, I'm easy to reach on social media. Uh, I tweet a lot still, um, and I exist on the Facebook platforms as well. Um, you can just search for my name, and it will find I don't hide behind any pseudonyms. Uh, but if you must, I am Sharpshooters. That's S-C-H-U-T-T-E-R-S um, on, on Twitter. Sharp, just spelled normally. Um, and, of course, if you are a parishioner, you have a direct access to, to Father Rodney and his daily devotions as well. Thank you very much, sir. It's been a fantastic conversation. To, to, to meet the phrase of um, exploring faith in a time of crisis, come and see him. Come and hear a man who told me all about myself. Thanks very much, Lindsay. <laughs>